quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, enjoy this two-part interview where I was interviewed at my conference this past March in Salt Lake City, Best Ever Conference. Hopefully you've attended. If you didn't, then, well, you should attend this year. But I digress. Andrew Cushman and Matt Faircloth interviewed me. It was a 45-minute conversation. We split it up into two podcast episodes. Typically, the content that is discussed at the Best Ever Conference is not publicly available, but we thought we'd give you exclusive access as a Best Ever listener to hear this interview. And the reason why it is important is because we are in uncertain times and we have the choice of how to think about these uncertain times. Do we choose to feel anxious? Do we choose to look over our shoulder? Do we choose to feel uncertain? Or do we choose to embrace this uncertainty and know that this uncertainty is here to make us sharper, to make us stronger, to help us be more efficient, to help us be more effective for ourselves, our family, our investors, and everyone that we influence. And in this interview, I am asked about some major challenges that I've come across, and you will hear all about those major challenges I've come across and how I chose to navigate them. I hope you enjoy it, but most of all, I hope you get a lot of value from this conversation. And with that, here we go. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Now, I would like to welcome to the stage the host of this session, Mr. Matt Fairclough. Thank you. Hey, everybody. How we doing? All right, so I'm going to bring up a few folks that you guys probably know, and we're going to have a best ever conversation. You guys ready? All right, so we're going to be interviewing and maybe hopefully asking some questions that you guys might have for someone you might have heard of, Joe Fairless. And maybe you've talked to him in the hallway, but we're going to get a chance to get inside his head and hear a lot of his origin story and hear what he thinks of things that are happening today right here on the stage. We're going to be interviewing him, and we're going to do some Q&A. When Q&A comes up, there should be a mic being set up here, and we'll let you know when it's time for that. So think of some great questions you guys might want to ask Joe that are going to be helping you guys benefit your business. And let's take that in for a second. There's entertaining questions we can ask that we might like to hear the answer for, like, what's your net worth? That doesn't matter. What matters is questions that you guys need to know to help you guys get yourself to the next level. You guys with me? Okay, cool. So now I'm going to bring up my co-host for today's interview. You might know him because he and I share the microphone sometimes when we do the multifamily sector of the Bigger Pockets podcast. You might know him from his 10-minute talk that he did up here. Anybody hear that? The 10-minute talk that Andrew did? Great conversation. Awesome talk. Let's give a big round of applause for the Andrew Cushman. Good. All right, now I want to hear the biggest, best ever, because here's the thing. Let's give this man some gratitude. Without this person that I'm about to bring up, we're all just sitting at home watching Netflix. None of this happens. 
And this is someone who I view as his brand is one of the gold standards of the industry. This is someone I personally look up to, and I've gotten a lot of advice from in the world of real estate investing. Some of you guys maybe have too as well. And this is someone that's a thought leader that's created so much that we have all benefited from. So if you've benefited a lot from this man, let's hear a 10 out of 10 cheers and applause for Joe Fairless. So, Joe, how are you? Doing well. Yeah? I almost wore that shirt today. That been a good thing or a bad thing? What, that shirt in the yeah, picture? Yeah, that shirt. Yeah. This is a shirt that I got for this interview, but I was going to wear what I refer to as my fearless flannel, right? <laughs> because every time I see you, you look like you're about ready to cut down a tree or something like that. In that shirt. You know, I... Put this guy on a thing of brawny or something. You got to you know? be true to yourself. You and are. I think with branding, too. I mean, you got to be true to yourself. If it's not genuine and authentic, then... It's not going to be the right approach for you. Yeah. So and I think is, that there's something, there's a lot of courage to just be yourself in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I interviewed someone a while ago and she said, the more I am my true self, the more magnetic I become. Yeah. And it's true. The more you are yourself, the more people gravitate towards you. Yeah. And we all have our spotty sense tingling when someone is not being authentic. So that's why I really love you know, being at this conference and the culture that's created here. It's just a lot of really good people. One more time, thank you for creating this. And this is off the script here. Where'd you come up with the name Best Ever? Oh, cool in name. my apartment in New York City on my bed because I didn't have a living room. And I was <laughs> brainstorming and I thought, what is a ridiculous name that will stand out? And this fits. It's hyperbole and it's ironic because yeah. that's not my personality to yeah. be hyperbolic, but whatever. We rolled with it. So tell us a little bit about where Ashcroft, your company, is right now, just size-wise, deal-wise. It's unfortunate, but at these conferences, everybody likes to talk about, how many doors do you have? I yeah, can't count how many right. times I've been asked how many doors I have. The short answer is it doesn't matter. But to frame the conversation today right now, where is Ashcroft in size and scope of a company? $2.7 billion worth of apartment communities that we have assets under management and about 12,000 units. Hmm. 12,000 units. So... For a lot of us in the room, we're like, holy cow, 12,000 units. That's so far beyond what a lot of us can imagine. Maybe we can imagine it in terms of we want to get there. But for those looking to scale up, and maybe who have 100 units or 500 units or 1,000, what is the journey to scale up to 12,000? If you were on your bed today and you had Back just come up York with City. the best ever, the best ever name, right. what's the next few steps that you would recommend to people who are trying to be Jill Fairless 10 years from now. Robert Kiyosaki said the richest people in the world build a network and everyone else looks for work. Mm. So I'd focus on building a network and that's where the podcast tied into this. That's how this community came about. Richest people in the world build networks, everyone else looks for work. And there's all sorts of other quotes that I live by. Secret to living is giving, help enough people get what they want, you'll get everything you want. Service to many leads to greatness. So that's the core of mm. my belief system. And when you have these relationships with other people, you learn and you find out who the right partners are. And the interviews that I did, probably the first 2,000 interviews for my podcast, that's 2,000 conversations with real estate investors who certainly in the early days had much more experience than I had. It's an unofficial master's degree in real estate and asking people the questions that you want to ask. So 
I would focus on the network, creating some sort of way to add value in a scalable way that puts you in, in a lot of relationships with people who have more experience than you. You build those relationships, you find the right partners based on those relationships, and then you go from there. There's some folks here, and sometimes I experience as well, in that little bit of fear of approaching someone that's a few steps ahead of you to go on your podcast, do a YouTube video, to go on my Instagram feed, whatever it is. Did you ever experience that? And if so, how did you get beyond that not enough feeling maybe or whatever it is that gave you the courage to call folks like Robert Kiyosaki, whatever, to come on your show or to have a conversation with you? I have an investor. Actually, it was my former boss's boss. He sold his advertising agency in New York City. And I was talking to him about this. He was on the other side of the challenge where he was approached by a lot of people who wanted to work for his company. And he got approached all the time by people. And he said the ones that stood out, which there were maybe one or two people who stood out, they said, I know you have an advertising agency. Your clients are, say, Frito-Lay. And I'm actually in your target audience. This is a college student. And I actually did a survey among my friends in my college dormitory and we did an official focus group. Here's some insights that we have that might be helpful for your free-to-lay clients. Mm -hmm. And that's an example of what we could do if we are reaching out to people who are a couple steps ahead of us. Okay, mm -hmm. well, wh what business are they in? What needs do they have? And now where am I at and what could I provide them within my own capacity that would be beneficial? And it might not resonate with them, but mm -hmm. you do that with enough people because everyone in this room is accomplished to a certain extent at varying levels and there's someone we can mentor and I'm sure you get reached out to by a decent amount of people hey can you give me this advice give me that advice and those who bring that value to those are the ones who stand out and I get a lot of emails and messages and the ones who are intentional about what is my line of business and how can I be helpful for you right out of the gate those are the ones that get responded to. Do you still get to, can I take you out to coffee, can I buy you lunch kind of emails and stuff like that? Occasionally. The reason I'm saying that is there's one thing. When people reach out to me or to you, I'm, I'm sure there, there is the opportunity to add value and to have a deep conversation or a specific problem. And then there's the reach outs that seem to be more generic, like, can I pick your brain? Right? right. And I what found... a terrible phrase, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. Can, can, <laughs> I, can I just take things for free from you <laughs> with no return to yeah. you at all? Can I just suck out a half an hour of your day for right. no value? And like, there's no good visual that goes along with that phrase. It is. Exactly. It's like, are you a zombie? Are you going to eat the brain <laughs> yeah. while you pick it? Or, yeah, I right. think of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and the monkey scene. That's picking the brain. Yeah. Right. He was picking the brain. Yeah. But just to validate what you said, there's a lot to approaching someone with the opportunity to try and add value, or even if they're a different level, whatever. How can I contribute or just do something to and, help you as well? And this is the seventh year we've had the conference, and I know I've talked about it pretty much every year. That's why the Thought Leadership Platform is so helpful, because it's instantly built in value, or at least perceived value. No one might be listening to your podcast, but at least it's perceived value. <laughs> for you've been really successful, I'd love to showcase your story to my listeners and let more people know about what you're doing. It's flattering, and not only that, it starts to trigger the law of reciprocity, where now you've given them something of perceived value. So now they'll be more likely to help you whenever you have something. Absolutely. So you're laying on that bed in New York City with, with no living room. <laughs> then the best ever idea comes up. And fast forward to today, when was that that you got started, that you were sitting in the cubicle next to Holly Williams sitting right there and yeah. working yeah. in the... And where yeah, you... I knew I was... I, I could ever shout out. <laughs> oh, no, no. Okay. Uh, next yeah, yeah. 
Right. And anyway. were you wearing a flannel shirt? Were you wearing a flannel oh, shirt? Yeah. Uh, was it ad- that flannel advertising shirt? agency? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> my, my, this is a little fancier than my other flannels. Yeah. Right. When was that, that you drank the real estate Kool-Aid and decided to have the courage to exit your job and begin your company and your journey? Well, I was in advertising, and I think it was Hurricane Sandy that hit New Jersey, mm-hmm. and that was in October of 2000. 12 and mm-hmm. that hurricane hit and i was working w2 our office it was a big building our office was flooded the basement was so we couldn't go to the building therefore we worked remotely and i was with my friend and working remotely at a coffee shop in new york city and i had the epiphany i was like what are these people doing walking the streets it's 1 p.m on a tuesday how are they able to do this and i really want to have a little bit more freedom to have the autonomy and, and work remotely and, and do these things So combine that with the four single-family homes that I owned at the time. I mentioned this to the VIPs this morning. They're cash flowing, 250 bucks a month, and someone would move out. There's $5,000 expenses right there. Whites away all the profits for the year. And then it's just an appreciation play that I didn't intend it to be appreciation play. I intended it to be a monthly cash flow play. And so I started teaching a class on how to do that in New York City because people were wondering, you're buying these cash flowing properties. That's interesting. And I had a former boss at the time. He said, if you ever do something larger, let me know. Mm. And I heard that from a couple people. So I realized I had customers before I had the product. So then I started studying multifamily. And I wrote an email to my family. I have the email printed out on my wall in my office. It was in November of 2012. I said, I'm going to be quitting my advertising job. I came on Concord and I don't care about it at all anymore. I was the youngest VP at an advertising agency. And when you don't care about something, that's a trigger. you got to move on. Mm-hmm. Steve Jobs mm-hmm. talks about look in the mirror. Everyone knows that quote. If I make a change, if I say I'm not interested in what I'm about to do today, so many days in a row. So I decided to start learning multifamily and leave at that point in time. I had been studying multifamily on the side, but I decided to leave in November of 2012. Mm. So how did you start studying multifamily? And if you were going to start studying today, is there anything you would do differently? (laughs) This, 2012, I'm not aware of conferences, or at least I wasn't at a time of conferences that were taking place in 2012, 2013, that weren't pitch fests, just trying to get people and funnel them into a consulting program or something, which is not a bad thing because I would also join a consulting program. I hired a consultant at that time and he helped me learn the basics of apartment investing did not teach me value add investing and i later learned there's a difference between buying a property and like i did my single family homes because i thought it was going to be just like my single family homes i buy a property it cash flows based on how it currently performs and then i sell it later or i hold on to it so i made a big mistake on my first deal where I went in with that same mindset, and we can talk about that, but I went in with that same mindset. It was not a good thing. But to answer your question, I go to all the conferences. I would have some sort of thought leadership platform that was interview-based, meet a lot of people, and then I would identify what are the successful characteristics that it takes to be successful in, let's say, apartment syndication. And then once I identify those successful characteristics, I then take a look in the mirror or take your personality test and see, okay, mm-hmm. well, I am this person, I'm the hunter, or I'm yeah. the brain, or mm-hmm. the axe picker, or whatever. The, the, hammer. the hammer. The hammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the I would go and find the other people.
We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital's never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.thebamcompanies.com. Are you a real estate investor looking to break into the multifamily investing space? Have you heard of MFIN Con happening in Charlotte, North Carolina, June 12th through the 14th? The Multifamily Investor Nation Convention is a place to learn from over 60 high-level apartment investors while networking with more than 700 additional investors. If that's not enough for you, A-Rod, yep, Alex Rodriguez, 12-time Major League Baseball All-Star with over $700 million of commercial real estate assets, will be live and in person speaking at the event. Also speaking is the one and only Dr. Robert Cialdini, the godfather of influence and the award-winning author. I personally love his books. So be sure to secure your tickets to this live in-person event before they're gone. Go to MFINCon.com for more details. Sponsorship opportunities are also available. Visit MFINCON.com today. Use the promo code BESTEVER to get $200 off your tickets. That's MFINCON.com. I would like to follow up on that first deal for a minute. If I recall right, that deal... Lost money, correct? Lost money, yeah. And somehow you are still here today with 12,000 units. You've scaled. Clearly, you moved past mm-hmm. that. How did you do that? How does someone in the audience who maybe does a bad deal or bought something with the wrong debt last year, how do they not let that stop them from continuing to grow? Well, before you answer that question, just to piggyback, there are maybe folks here, and I've been in this boat before, that there is a fear of moving forward because of the fear of losing money, because of the fear of making a mistake. So just addressing this to the audience here, that this man's not perfect. There's been mistakes made by Joe, by myself, by Andrew. And if you allow the fear of moving forward because I don't want to make a mistake, you'll end up not going anywhere. That's right. right. So yeah, Yeah. tell us more about the deal or if you want to comment on that as well. Yeah, I agree. Well, a little bit about the deal for context and then I'll I'll tell you how I... uh, What not to do. Yeah, what not to do (laughs) and how to emotionally navigate it as best you can based on what I learned. So the deal is a master lease with option to purchase. I went from four single-family homes to a 168-unit apartment community in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I had 12 investors. It was a $1.2 million raise. I raised $843,000 from those 12 investors. The difference between $1.2 and 843 was the brokers put in their commissions, and I think they brought in an investor or two that they knew through an entity. And I'll tell you the specifics of it, but I'll say right now that everything was my fault. Ultimately, it, mm. it was on me. And it was nobody else's responsibility but mine that if I was not aware of certain things, well, that's on me. So the deal was going back to I didn't know value add investing. So it looked on paper that the property cash flowed is 95% occupied in a growing area of Cincinnati on the east side of Cincinnati and Amelia for anyone who's familiar with Cincinnati. 
And I thought, okay, well, cash flowing deal, I can get in at a relatively small amount relative to the overall value of the property. And I thought I could raise 500000 at a time, but I was able to raise 843000 So I was talking to the owner while we were doing walkthroughs, and he said, Joe, if you want it to be 100% occupied, we can make it 100% occupied before close. I'm like, oh, that is so nice of you. Thank you. Well, hey, you, you want to move in? This, is, right, what, yeah, this yeah. is what apartment owners right, are right. like, right? That's, sure. This is awesome. Good what a, what a, well, hey. I should have been doing this a long time. No problem. So I said, yes, please. That would be great. <laughs> uh, well, well, it turns out that there were a lot of down units a lot of units that weren't rent ready mm. and he was literally moving people from the street being homeless into these units and these homeless people did not care about the quality of the unit they just wanted a roof over their head understandably so they probably didn't um, care about paying the rent either though that too yeah they didn't care about paying the rent <laughs> that's called not um, good screening practices <laughs> yes so i closed on it without looking at all these down units there are about 18 of them I closed on it without looking at any of these down units, and they didn't pay rent, shockingly. Mm. So we went through the eviction process, and not only did we go through the eviction process, but, well, now you've got to make ready all these down units. And one of them, literally, you go in with the safety suit, with the face mask and oh, everything. Wow. Multiple dead rodents and other creatures that used to be living that were no longer living for a very long time. Mm. And I was saying this morning, the owner was spraying something on his legs prior to going into the units. And I was like, that's strange, but I didn't think anything of it. Can anyone guess? Non-VIP people heard this morning. Anyone guess what he was spraying? Huh? Bed bugs. Yeah, he was spraying like rubbing alcohol on his legs so the bed bugs wouldn't latch onto him as they're walking through the units. We had major bed bug infestation, apparently. So we found the bed bugs in the due diligence, but we didn't know how extensive it was. We looked at the units initially, but my own fault, I got tricked on that when we closed. And most importantly, I didn't listen to multiple property managers prior to closing. There was a pro forma that was put in place. I really wanted to do my first deal. And I spoke to two property management groups in Cincinnati, and they both said, your numbers aren't realistic. Mm. And instead mm. of saying, hmm, they might have something, I went to a third property management company, and they said, yeah, this could work. <laughs> so, all right, that's what I wanted to hear. I closed, and there was no money in the reserves. And when I closed, and the mortgage broker said, well, there's 21000 needed for insurance at close. I was like... I wasn't expecting that. So I ended up cashing out some and eventually all of my 401k I had through my company that I'd saved and putting it right out of the gate, day one, right out of the Mm. gate. So I learned a lot of lessons. And when the property lost money, I had 12 conversations with the investors. And I said, we lost money. My commitment to you is I will pay you back plus, well, actually, yes, I did say this initially. I said, I will pay you back plus 14% annualized return out of my own pocket. I don't know how long it's going to take, but I'll do it. And conversations, as you can imagine, went from, they didn't say it, but I know they're thinking that's BS, to, hey, I really appreciate it, but we'll just wait and see. And it took about a year and a half, maybe two years, I don't quite remember, but I paid them all back, plus 14% out of my own pocket. And I realized from that experience, got to have the money, got to have a deal, got to be able to execute. 
I'm good at the money part, but the deal and execution, not my area of expertise. And you're swimming with sharks when we mm. get into this level. And you better bring a decade plus of experience or at least have people who you can consult with that will help you because you're going to run across people who have more experience or more savvy and have seen more things than you have. And it's necessary to have those allies that you can combat that with. So from an emotional and mental standpoint, I remember one day my bank account after we closed was $1,000. And I had 100000 in credit card debt. The property management company, I owed their vendors because we were delaying payment on vendors. So I had to pay back the vendors. I had to do workarounds. I met with one emergency restoration company because we had flooding at the property. I met with them multiple times at their office. And I had to talk to them about how I couldn't pay them everything now, but I'll get on a payment plan. It was crazy. One day in the middle of the storm, we had another flood at the property. I mean, I'd always be looking at the weather app to see when we were going to get rain. And it was just such a dreadful experience, just the anticipation of rain coming down from the sky. And it rains a lot in Cincinnati, especially that year. It seemed like. <laughs> and I, I would look at the app like, oh, man, it's going to rain. And one morning after a rainstorm, sure enough, we had a lot of units flooded. And we had the restoration come out. They said, this bill is going to be $40,000. I did not have $40,000. That was one. This all happened before 10 a.m., by the way. So I got a bill for $40,000. I was working at the time. So I met my business partner, Frank, and we had started Ashcroft while still trying to solve this issue. And we were working on our first or second deal at the time. And we were in the funding process. One of our investors wired money to Africa instead of to our escrow account. Turns out he got hacked, $100,000 investment. So we ended up paying that back over time just because it was not our fault. His email got hacked, but we ended up paying him back because who knows what type of liabilities involved there. And then on top of that, I was like, okay, I've got to go run. I've got to go get some exercise, get away from this. We were renting an apartment at the time in Cincinnati. I take 10 steps out of the apartment, I'm staying on the sidewalk, I see this woman walking towards me, and she's walking kind of funky, like off a little bit for 10 a.m. in the morning. And I look at her, I say, good morning, and she spits in my face. <laughs> she spits in my face. I'm like, so I called the FBI, too, that morning about the wire funds oh being lost. So called the FBI, got spit in my face, and got a $40,000 bill all before 10 a.m. on that day. So the best ever guy had his worst day ever. Yeah, that's worst right. Day right. Yeah. Worst so, day and ever. I called 911 right. about that lady. So it was all sorts of stuff oh, going man. on. And so how do you go past it? It's something that you've got to remember. It's something that you've got to hold dear. So I document. I have a daily journal. And mm -hmm. I document. I can go back and I can reference that day. What was I experiencing? What was I going through? And any time I start getting complacent, because it's natural. You make a lot of money. Complacency can seep in. I go back in that journal, I'm like, holy shit, I was getting spit on, I was calling the FBI, I was calling 911, and I was getting bills that I couldn't pay, all in one day before 10 a.m. I'm not going to go back to that place, I won't allow <laughs> no. that. That was some awesome real-life detail that you don't often get to hear, but there's one thing that you said that I think for everyone listening is probably the most key, and it's not don't make a mistake, because mistakes and failures are human nature. Look at Chernobyl or the Hindenburg or almost any Nicolas Cage movie. But the thing, <laughs> the thing that you said was, everything was my fault. Whether or not that's actually mm -hmm. true or not doesn't matter. I bet when you had those 12 investor calls, you didn't blame anybody else. Uh, you mm -hmm. said, hey, I screwed up. I'm going to pay you back. 
and you took ownership for it. The $100,000 wire that went to Africa, clearly not your fault, but you treated it as if it was. And then to me, that's probably one of the biggest reasons that you're at 12,000 units today is yeah. and that early failure didn't stop you. So kudos to you. That's extreme awesome. ownership. Yeah, yeah, extreme you probably ownership. asked yourself what you had done to the lady to make her spit you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> How did I contribute to that? That well, one wasn't <laughs> I didn't deserve to spit in the face. Maybe your breath was bad. That <laughs> yeah, right, right. Maybe, maybe. So before we move on, what was the exit point? for that deal. Just to close that loop, so you've got four yeah, units we, and bed bugs. Blah, 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 we, we at some bought, point, I yeah. think we, we had it under contract for 6.3 or something, and I ended up selling for 5.2 mm. to a group. And one interesting thing, which could be relevant to anyone who is having challenges with the current interest rates and talking to investors and if you need to pause distributions or sell or whatever, during that time with that property, Prior to it getting really bad, one or two groups reach out and say, hey, we'd like to buy this property. Mm. And it was more of a creative structure that they were bringing to the table, but it still would have worked. But it wouldn't have hit the projected returns that I wanted for the investors, but it would have been profitable. Mm. And I said no, because I didn't want to go back to investors and say, we're not going to hit what we projected. And I was disillusioned at the time. I didn't really understand what reality was. I thought that things were going to get better. And I was living at the, did I mention that? I was living at the property? No. no. Yeah, I moved, That's from, why they I moved from New York. Yeah, I, yeah. I moved from New York City. <laughs> well, I was living with my girlfriend, now my wife at the time, at that a different apartment. But yeah, okay. once I met her, I moved in with her. <laughs> but I, I was living at the property for, I don't know how long, six months, eight months. I, I'm not exactly sure. But I was living in the model unit. I moved from New York City to Cincinnati uh, to try and turn it around. I've been living in New York City for 10 years, but I moved from New York City to Cincinnati. I moved in the model unit, and I would pack up all my stuff in the morning at 7.30 a.m., and I would go walk to the leasing office, and I would go show the model unit, the place I was living, to prospective residents. One day I had my toothbrush out, and they're like, is someone living here? I'm like, no, no, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's a no, problem. Left that. behind. Trying to make it realistic. Yeah. 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 So, I, I mean, I... I it could be your toothbrush. I mean, I, I was, I, I had a, Come free a with Toyota the Corolla at the time, and I'd go up to Lowe's, and I'd get the asphalt that you use to fill potholes, and I'd put it in the trunk of my Toyota Corolla with the shovel, and I'd be filling potholes. I was doing whatever it took. But a good lesson there is it wasn't enough. Mm. I was all in, but it wasn't enough because I wasn't capitalized properly, and I went in with a bad business plan. But even if we try to do everything we can, it might not be enough. So cut your losses. And what Matthew McConaughey says in a keynote, don't leave crumbs. Don't do things in life where you're going to have to look over your shoulder and be like, oh, I hope that person doesn't show up at the conference. I've got one of the investors in that first deal here. So hard decisions have to be made in business. Do it in a way that doesn't leave you looking over your shoulder, hoping that you don't come across those people again. And that was a big thing that I did, and I'm proud of how I handled it. Mm. That's some solid it's quick, advice. I, I would just take a moment, guys. A quick round of applause for Joe for getting real about that, getting yeah. vulnerable, and also for doing the right thing by your investors. So there's not enough reality and vulnerability in this business. If you look on Facebook, all people do in this business is go on vacation, go to conferences, and close deals. But it's good to have somebody here that's willing to tell you guys the other side of this business that you don't see on Facebook. So thank you. Thanks for listening to part one of this conversation between myself, Andrew Cushman, and Matt Faircloth from this year's Best Ever Conference. If you enjoyed this episode, please come back tomorrow for a part two. 
of our conversation. And remember to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with someone you think could benefit from it. Thank you and have a best ever day.